Hello, everybody. Hope everybody is doing well. Welcome back to another episode of the all-new, all-awesome podcast. And I'm here with a lot to talk about. So let's get right to it. Um, It was a big day today uh, in the entertainment industry in terms of news. Uh, The big thing is that the nominations for the Golden Globes came out, which are always interesting. Uh, As we all know, the Golden Globes are sort of decided and voted on by this sort of mysterious group of international film people. And uh, no one quite knows who they are or why they vote the way they do. I think the Golden Globes, you know, tend to uh, they tend to favor movies with big stars. That seems to be a pattern. They tend to um, favor movies with kind of an international flair, obviously, since it's sort of an international board of voters. Um, but beyond that, it's really hard to to say sort of what exactly Curry's favor with the uh, the Golden Globe committee. Um, but certainly, on one hand, they tend to be a very different beast than the Oscars. On the other hand, they are sort of a good early predictor of what movies may or may not be in the Oscar race. And, you know, if a movie gets a lot of nominations for the Globes, uh, it could influence more Oscar voters to watch that movie uh, and check it out. Or if a movie wins uh, a Golden Globe, it could also influence uh Oscar voters as well, especially this year, there will be, I believe, a pretty decent gap between the Globes and the Oscars. Um, uh, So yeah, you never know. I mean, it it will be interesting. Um, And obviously, it was a very strange year looking back in in terms of movies and TV with all the delays uh, because of COVID and uh, a lot of uh, you know, the big awards contender movies are actually still yet to really be available for people to watch and are going to be kind of rolling out over the next uh, couple weeks. And so there's a lot of these movies that that I haven't seen yet, that no one's really seen yet. Um, so, you know, there's certainly some movies that appear on the list that, uh, you know, I assume are good, but just you know, I can't really say for sure. So, you know, let's go through and uh, let's talk about it. Um, and I'll give you some some thoughts as we go. But so for best uh, film drama, we've got uh, The Father, we've got Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, so The Father is one, like I just talked about, I don't think most people have seen it yet other than a few critics. Nomadland, similar, I believe in a couple weeks, uh, that's going to come out on Hulu, which is exciting. Um, now, we have seen Mank, we have seen uh, Promising Young Woman and, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, so I don't have any clear favorite uh, here. Um, you know, as I've talked about, I do I did work with Promising Young Woman. So overall, I was really happy from a professional standpoint to... Uh, see that get four nominations, including uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Lead Actress, which is awesome. Um, and I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of the movie, so uh, it's really cool from that perspective, too. Um, 
I'm very excited to watch Nomadland. Um, I've heard so many good things. I can tell um, it's going to be probably something that, that is sort of up my alley. Um, so I'm very excited for that. The one thing I will say that stands out to me is where is... There's two movies, actually, that just immediately jump out. And they're actually my number one and two picks for best movies of 2020. And so one of those is The Five Bloods. I'm just sort of baffled as to how it's not on this list. Uh, if I'm being honest, I would place it above Trial of Chicago 7. I would place it above Mank for sure. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I mean, to me, The Five Bloods is like one of Spike Lee's best movies ever. It should 100% be on the list for best drama. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... You know, I, I've seen people sort of talking about how the Golden Globes uh, this year in particular, you know, seem to not be, uh, you know, they're not including a lot of sort of African-American um, uh, skewing sort of movies or TV shows or, or movies or TV shows with African-American leads um, or talent behind behind the scenes. And uh, I know a lot of people have talked about the, the TV show uh, I Will Destroy You um, as being a big snub. I haven't seen that show yet, but but again, I mean, that seems to be some of the conversation. And I don't know if it's because, you know, to some extent, it's sort of a more international crowd and they're just not as attuned to some of that. Um, but it, it does feel conspicuous this year, I will say. Um and, and yeah, it's just baffling that the Five Bloods isn't in there um, versus something like Mank, which I think had very mixed reviews um, versus the Five Bloods, which I feel like was pretty universally praised. Um, so yeah, that's a strange one. The other one is uh, Sound of Metal, which did get a couple of scattered awards uh, or, or scattered nominations. But I mean, to me, that's just one of the absolute best movies of the year. Just a very, very powerful movie. Um, so I, I believe Riz Ahmed, the star, was nominated, which is great. He's fantastic in the movie. But uh, how the movie itself was then not nominated, I, I don't know. Um, so that feels like a big snub to me. Um, so, so best performance by an actress uh, in a movie for drama. We've got Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, Andra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday, which is another one yet to come out. I believe that comes out on Hulu in a couple weeks. Uh, so very curious to see that. Uh, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a, of a Woman, which I have not yet seen. Frances McDormand for Nomadland, who I have to think is a favorite. And then uh, Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. So all, all good picks seemingly there. Uh, Viola Davis was certainly... Uh, phenomenal in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, Carrie Mulligan was phenomenal in Promising Young Woman. So, um, you know, that'll be an interesting category to watch. Uh, best performance by an actor in a motion picture. So you've got Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, I think should win, you know, just was phenomenal in that film. Uh, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Of course, that was his final movie. Uh, he was great in that. Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Very curious to uh, check that one out. Um, Gary Oldman for Mank. And, and certainly, uh, you know, he he was incredible in Mank. 
and then Tamar Rahim for uh, the Mauritanian, which is another one that still has not actually come out yet. So we'll be curious to see that. Um, don't know too much yet about that movie or what uh, his performance is like in the film, but you know, curious to check it out eventually. Um, so that's so then a uh, best motion picture for musical or comedy. And this is always weird to me in that like comedy, musical, why do we have to lump them together? Just do a comedy category, do a musical category. Um, but, but then you get some weird things like, you know, Borat competing with Hamilton uh, or Palm Springs competing with the prom. Uh, and then you've also got this movie called music, which again, sounds great. Not actually out yet for that anyone has seen. Uh, other than, than I believe some critics. So uh, we'll be very curious to hear that one or to see that one. I, I believe it's, uh, I want to say it's Kate Hudson's directorial debut. Um, so so we'll definitely look forward to seeing that. Um, you know, Borat, I, I thought was just an incredible movie. It was in my top 10 of the year. It was just hilarious. Uh, and then Palm Springs also in my top 10. Uh, and, and I've got to feel like that might be the favorite just because, uh, it was so sort of universally acclaimed. I really loved it. So, um, to me, it, it, it'll probably come down to those two. Although I guess you can't, uh, discount Hamilton either. Um, best performance by an actress in a, in a motion picture, musical or comedy. So you've got Maria Bakalova from Borat, who is great in that, uh, Kate Hudson from music. Again, no one's seen it yet. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer for French Exit. Have not seen that. Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot. And then Anya Taylor-Joy for Emma. Uh, I'm glad she was nominated. Again, this was another movie that uh, I worked on. So uh, I am a bit biased. But I did think Anya Taylor-Joy was great in it. And she's fantastic overall. So, you know, she she became such a big name this year with Queen's Gambit that you got to wonder if maybe she is actually the favorite. Uh, best performance by an actor in a, in a motion picture, musical or comedy. So you've got Sasha Baron Cohen for Borat, uh, James Corden for the prom, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton, Deb Patel for the personal history of David Copperfield, which I, uh, I, I did enjoy that movie a lot. He was great in it. Uh, and then Andy Samberg for Palm Springs, which was a, a really great performance from him. Um, I kind of want to give it to Sasha Baron Cohen just because to me, he's so transcendent when he's Borat and he's so good and he's, he walks such a line. Um, and there's such a sense of like danger to that performance. I mean, uh, I, I like a lot of these performances, but, um, I, I would probably have to give it to Sasha Baron Cohen. I guess with Hamilton, there's sort of a question of like, you know, it's a sort of a filmed version of a, of a musical, of a live musical production that happened several years ago. And so we all know that Hamilton is one of the great musicals uh, of modern times. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is like iconic in it already. Uh, but how much credit do you give for like what was a filmed version of, of the musical? I don't know. Um for animated best motion picture, uh, you've got The Crudes, which I did enjoy, uh, Onward, Over the Moon, uh, which I actually do want to watch, uh, Soul, and then Wolfwalkers, which I also do want to watch. Um, 
you know, I, I I've said this before, but of the two Pixar movies, I sort of give the edge actually to Onward, which I know is maybe like a slightly unpopular opinion, but uh, I thought Onward, uh, it took a little time to get going and see where they were going with it. But by the end of the movie, I was just really floored by it. And it was so ultimately uh, heartfelt and moving. Soul, I thought, started out really strong and then sort of lost a little bit of momentum as it went. So I did really enjoy Soul overall, but I, I give the slight edge to Onward, actually. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think Soul is probably the favorite, although also Over the Moon and Wolfwalkers both, I, I believe, have been pretty critically acclaimed. So you never know if they could be a, a spoiler. Um so foreign language is interesting. You've got um, in the mix, you've got Minari, which is getting a ton of acclaim. And, and it sounds like there's some controversy over why it's considered a foreign language film. Um, you know, I, I'm very excited to watch it. I believe it comes out uh, next month uh, to watch. Um, you know, so I'm excited for that. Um, it does seem a little strange that it's in the foreign language category if it's sort of uh, a large part of it is in English and it's a American production. So, yeah, kind of weird. I, I'm not that familiar with a lot of these other movies. Um, the only thing I'll say is, it, it is uh, it's interesting that of the other movies here, uh, they're not really movies that I had heard much buzz about until now. So... You know, it'll be interesting if if that sort of leads to any of these getting more Oscar uh, attention, you know, um, going into sort of Oscar voting season. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like what other foreign language films I thought might be in the mix. I mean, I, I've heard really good things about some movies like uh, Night of the Kings. Um, I'm trying to think what else. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um so best performance by an actress in a supporting role in a movie. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, you've got Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, uh, which I've not seen. Obviously, that movie's got pretty mixed reviews. And I think that's where you sort of end up with some of these, like, name actresses. Um, you know, I feel like this happens a lot with the Golden Globes, where, where you get, you know, the sort of legends like Glenn Close or kind of people like Angelina Jolie tend to get nominated, even if the movie they're being nominated for is sort of divisive. Um, those big names seem to often kind of make the cut. It's interesting though, this year, a lot of people have pointed out that Meryl Streep uh, did not get any nominations despite being, you know, in the prom, which in and of itself got a lot of nominations. And then also I thought she was fantastic in uh, Let Them All Talk which really did not get any uh, nominations. So um, interesting to, to see that snub. It's rare that Meryl Streep gets sort of snubbed. Um, but you've got Glenn Close here, Olivia Coleman for The Father, haven't seen it yet. Jodie Foster from The Mauritanian, haven't seen it yet. Uh, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, she was really good in that movie. And, and a lot of people talked about her as sort of a standout part in that movie. Um, and then an interesting one is Helena Zangle for News of the World, who was sort of the the younger girl in that movie who was sort of the 
uh, played alongside Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks was not nominated, which is interesting, but she was. She was good in the movie. I mean, it's it's honestly a little surprising. I don't know if there was much like Oscar buzz around that or, or awards buzz around that role, but um, you know, it it's definitely a an interesting pick. I mean, I feel like this was a really good like this was a category where there were a lot of potential, you know, people that that would have been interesting to be nominated. Um, so so that was one that uh you know is a little surprising i think you know there's some there's some smaller movies that i was hoping would get more attention um you know movies like uh never rarely sometimes always for example um you know i i'm surprised uh again let them all talk is one that i thought had such a good supporting cast uh, Candace Bergen, Diane Weiss, they were just fantastic in that movie. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on, but, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, some of these do feel a little bit left field. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, and then we've got uh, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a movie. Uh, and you've got Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of Chicago 7. He was really great in that, I will say. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, which I'm very excited to watch. I believe that comes out on HBO Max next week. Uh, Jared Leto for The Little Things. Haven't seen that yet. Interesting because obviously we know Jared Leto is often really good in these movies, but that movie seems to be getting kind of mixed reviews. Um, Bill Murray for On the Rocks, which I haven't seen. Do you want to check that out from Apple? And then Leslie Odom uh, Jr. for One Night in Miami. Looking forward to watching that. It's on my uh, schedule for next week. So uh, I'll, I will probably be talking about that here on the podcast shortly. Um, but again, this is one where like, you know, the Five Bloods, you had you had some really great actors in there. Um, like uh, Clark Peters, and uh, you know, it, it feels like this this was one where uh, you know there's a couple of sort of left field picks here. But again, interesting. We'll see what happens. I mean, all all great actors. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Kaluuya, Jared Leto, Bill Murray, Leslie Adams Jr. That's a pretty pretty good lineup of, of actors right there. So best director, this is a, a fascinating one. You've got Emerald Fennell from Promising Young Woman. Well-deserved nomination for her, I think. Uh, David Fincher from Mank. And, you know, big name, obviously. He directs the hell out of Mank. So got to give him credit for that. Uh, Regina King for One Night in Miami. That's a cool pick. Um, can't wait to see that movie again. Uh, Aaron Sorkin for Trial of the Chicago 7 interesting pick uh and then chloe zhao for nomadland so and, and that's an exciting pick i think she's an amazing director again cannot wait to see nomadland again for me it's like spike lee the five bloods that should be an obvious one um i would throw out there too darius uh martyr for sound of metal i thought he did an incredible job 
um, Steven Stodenberg for Let Them All Talk. I thought he did a fantastic job as well. So, um, you know, uh, again, we'll, we'll see what happens with that category. Um, best screenplay, you've got Emerald Fennell for Promising a Woman, Jack Fincher for Mank, Aaron Sorkin for Trial of Chicago 7, uh, Florian Zeller and Christopher Hampton for The Father, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. So, you know, nothing too surprising there. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, I feel like, is uh, low-hanging fruit to nominate uh, for, for anything he writes, really. Um, I kind of like Emerald Fennel for uh, Promising Young Woman. Um, you know, it's such a bold, sort of unique, uh, just memorable script. So I like that. Although, of course, I will be curious to see Nomadland. Um, I mean, to me, I, I would also have thought about Palm Springs being up there. Um, again, The Five Bloods, I think. Uh, some some smaller movies like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, Kajillionaire, to me, should be in there. Uh, what about Charlie Kaufman with I'm Thinking of Ending Things? Um, I thought Run on Hulu had a really, really cool script. Um, Let Them All Talk. So there, there's a lot of... Uh, potential uh movies that i would have maybe put in there but again all, all pretty good picks um i'll skip over song and score um but just moving on to tv really quick best tv series for drama so you've got the crown lovecraft country mandalorian ozark and ratchet interesting picks i feel like tv is where um even more than film like award shows like this just tend to be so random you know there's so many shows out there now that they tend to not really have much consensus i mean i I don't understand how you do not have better call Saul on that list of best dramas i mean that just makes no sense to me at all um but you know i i can't take anything away from the shows that were nominated um, but, but yeah, I mean, Better Call Saul to me is a huge snub. Um, to me, that's just the gold, the gold standard for, for TV shows right now. Um, best performance by an actress. You've got Olivia Coleman, Jodie Comer for Killing Eve, uh, Emma Corrin for The Crown, Laura Linney for Ozark and Sarah Paulson for Ratched. Um, and again, uh, Rhea Seahorn should be on there for Better Call Saul best acting I saw on TV in the last year. So, so for me, that's a big snub, uh, best performance by an actor. You've got Jason Bateman, Ozark, Josh O'Connor, the crown, Bob Odenkirk, better call Saul. Okay. But where was Rhea Seahorn, uh, Al Pacino for hunters and Matthew Reese for Perry Mason. He was very good on that show. I did really enjoy his performance. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, all, all again, like, you know, some pretty big names in there. Uh, best TV series for musical or comedy. I will say, I, I really want to watch The Flight Attendant on HBO Max, which I've heard a lot of people talk about. That's nominated. And then I really want to watch uh, Ted Lasso on Apple TV. That was sort of on my list for uh, this past year, and I just didn't get to it. But definitely want to watch it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of snubs on here. Uh, you know, Schitt's Creek is on there, obviously well-deserved. Where is uh, What We Do in the Shadows? Um, you know, which is, is the best comedy on TV right now. 
in my opinion, uh, where was Brooklyn Nine Nine? Where was the final season of The Good Place? Uh, so there's a lot of of omissions, I would say, but um, also some really good shows. And and obviously, I've got to watch uh, Ted Lasso. So best performance by an actress in a television series, musical or comedy. Uh, you've got Lily Collins for Emily in Paris, Kelly, uh, I'm probably saying this wrong, uh, Kuoko for The Flight Attendant, Ellie Fanning for The Great, Jane Levy for Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and the great Catherine O'Hara for Schitt's Creek. Um, you know, obviously, I think Catherine O'Hara should be a favorite, but hear great things about Jane Levy and Zoe's. She's always great. Um, again, Kaylee Kuoko for Flight Attendant. So, um, we'll see if, if Shit's Creek sort of dominates like it did for the Emmys. If it does, can't really complain because I love that show. Um, and then you get, you know, best performance by an actor in a comedy. Uh, and you've got Don Cheadle for Black Monday, Nic- Nicholas Holt for The Great, Eugene Levy for Shit's Creek, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, and Rami Youssef for Rami. Um, again, I mean, what we do in the shadows... The actors on that are so good. I feel like they should they should be in there. Um, it's just so funny, uh, you know. You've got these like anthology or uh, you know limited series, and now they expanded it this year to be motion picture made for TV, so made for TV movies, of which small acts on Amazon is included. Which I mean, they're really just a series of movies that happen to be linked together. Um, under this small axe umbrella. So for me, I would put them under movies. Um, but what you now get this weird thing where you have like small acts competing with normal people. Um, and then what's even more strange is if you sort of skip down to best supporting actor, um, I'm just trying to find it here, but yeah. Okay. So like best performance by an actor in a supporting role on TV, it just includes everything. So you have like Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek competing with John Boyega from Small Acts from the Red, White, and Blue movie he did as part of Small Acts, which is just so disparate, uh, so strange. Um, or then like for uh, supporting actress, you have you know Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek competing with. Uh, like Gillian Anderson from The Crown. So kind of strange there. Um, but yeah, you know, Golden Globes, always interesting. I will say one more thing, which is that I'm happy to see all the nominations for normal people. You know, that being sort of an international show, I, I wonder if that worked to its favor in these nominations. But Finally, we've got a nomination for Daisy Edgar Jones for Best Actress in a Limited Series for Normal People, as well as a Best Limited Series nomination for Normal People. Well-deserved. Really like that show. Um, But yeah, that's my Golden Globes wrap-up. I know that was a lot. So again, I'm definitely uh, very happy for movies like Promising Young Woman, uh, Emma, I'm excited to see nominations for uh, TV shows that I really like, like Schitt's Creek and Better Call Saul, although Rhea Seahorn should have been nominated. Um, And yeah, hopefully, you know, some of the movies that I like, some of the smaller movies, this will help them as they they get towards the Oscars. 
And hopefully at the same time, there's still room for other movies that are not part of these nominations to uh, get Oscar nominated. So, you know, again, I'm really rooting for some of the movies like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, uh, Kajillionaire, um, you know, something like Spontaneous, which should have been on here. Um, some of those just really cool smaller movies uh, from this past year, I think should still hopefully get a shot with the Oscars, but we'll see. So that's my uh, Golden Globes wrap up and I'll be right back with my three picks of All right, so my first pick of the week, I'm really excited uh, to talk about. It's a new movie, uh, a new direct-to-video animated movie from DC Comics um, called Batman, Soul of the Dragon. And when I heard about this movie, I was like, all right, I've got to watch this because this, this really hits like all of my nerdy uh sweet spots uh i'm a huge batman fan obviously um i am a big fan of kung fu movies who isn't uh and i'm also a big fan of a lot of these semi-obscure dc comics uh martial arts characters that a lot of the a lot of them were sort of created <clears throat> in the 70s uh, many of them by the great, the late great um, writer Denny O'Neill, one of my favorite writers ever, um, and who appear in this movie. And so, this is a really cool. Like, I, I haven't, um, I haven't fully really kept up with a lot of the DC animated stuff in the last couple of years. Um, I've seen my fair share of the movies. Um, you know, I've seen The Red Hood, I've seen um, New Frontier, uh, All-Star Superman, um, you know, several others. I don't think I've watched a new one in, in a good couple of years. Um, but again, this one really caught my eye. And, uh, and, and for the reasons I just mentioned, um, and, and basically what it is, is, is uh, it takes place in the 70s. And it's so it's a Batman who is sort of in his prime in the 1970s. Um, and it sort of is an homage to, you know, the Bruce Lee Kung Fu movies and a lot of other movies from the 70s, right down to the uh, soundtrack or the score is very 70s-ish. A lot of the, uh, the aesthetics of the movie are, are 70s-esque. And so you get to see, you know, a Batman who's got, you know, the long sideburns and the 70s attire when he's Bruce Wayne and uh, all the other characters are sort of homages to, you know, they're, they're um, <clears throat> they are adapted from, from comic book characters, but these versions of them in particular are sort of homages to a lot of 70s movie archetypes. So you've got Richard Dragon, who traditionally in the comics is a, a white guy who often is sort of like a middle-aged white guy with red hair and a beard. And he's like a martial arts master. But the version of him here is almost like an homage to Bruce Lee, which I thought was cool. They really they really pulled it off. He's sort of like Bruce Lee as, as James Bond. He's like a globe-trotting kung fu master dude. Um, 
and it was a super cool interpretation of the character. Um, I'd love to see it explored more in the comics or in movies or whatever. Um, and then you've got a character who I've, I've always loved in the comics, uh, Bronze Tiger, a.k.a. Ben Turner. Um, and in the comics, he was introduced originally by Denny O'Neill as sort of a lackey of the villain Ra's al Ghul who later it was it was revealed had been brainwashed by Ra's al Ghul and was actually, you know, uh, then tried to be kind of repentant for what he had done as a villain. And he was sort of this martial arts master who was super badass. He was a longtime member of the Suicide Squad in the comic books um, and was a really cool character there. And in the, in this movie the version of him is sort of takes what we know about bronze tiger and gives it sort of that seventies, almost kind of like black exploitation type of twist. Um, and he's voiced by Michael Jai white in the movie, which is super cool. He does an awesome job with it. And he's very funny too. He gets a lot of the best lines in the movie. Um, so I enjoyed that. And then you've got lady Shiva or in the movies, she's just uh, Shiva who's one of the great DC comics characters in the comics. She's sort of like the ultimate, just badass femme fatale martial arts master. She's always been portrayed in the comics as like the single greatest martial artist in all of DC comics. Um, and, and she's sort of villainous, but also has sort of a code that she lives by. Just a really great character who has been a longtime staple of Batman comics of the question comics. Um, and then in, in Birds of Prey as well, um, written by, by, you know, the likes of Gail Simone and others. Um, and so basically the movie has this premise where it's the 70s and, you know, um, there's this new kind of dragon cult that's sort of based off the Cobra characters from DC Comics, if you're familiar with that. Um, and so Bruce Wayne has to find the group of people that he trained with in this secret like martial arts monastery in his youth um, when he was training to be Batman. And so he reunites with uh, Richard Dragon, with Bronze Tiger, and with Shiva, who he hasn't seen in a long time. And the four of them uh, go on this quest to stop this evil dragon cult um, of Cobra. And it's such a cool setup, and there's a lot of fun like action scenes, there's a lot of fun banter between the characters. And what's cool is it's a Batman movie, but I would say Batman is portrayed here as like no more important than Richard Dragon or the other characters. So it's almost as much of like a Richard Dragon movie as it is a Batman movie, which is really cool. And the other thing is, um, this is getting into like deep nerdery, so I apologize, but you know, if you know Batman at all from like the comics or cartoons, there's sort of been a thing in the last like 20, you know, years or so where Batman is just always portrayed as like this godlike character. And I think a lot of it goes back to Grant Morrison, the writer, when he wrote Batman um, uh, in the 90s. He sort of transformed Batman from just a, a badass character to like just an unstoppable character, like this godlike character. Um, which was cool at the time, but I think it's been a little bit overdone. And, um, you know, I think what's cool about this movie is that it takes it back to the version of the characters from the 70s and 80s and, and, and kind of early 90s 
where, you know, Batman was a more fallible character. You know, he was a great uh, fighter. He was a great detective. He was super smart. Um, he had cool gadgets. But, you know, a bad guy would occasionally be able to get the drop on him. Um, he would get hurt when he was fighting people. He would sometimes make wrong decisions. Um, and he had more of a humanity to him and sort of more of a, um, you know, a personality than other than just being um, kind of like curmudgeonly all the time, basically, is, is kind of the more modern version. You know, the, the version who just anytime someone says something to him, he just responds with a, you know, a, a grunt. That's sort of how he's portrayed now. Um, but I, I like I like kind of that classic version um, that also harkens back to, you know, Batman, the animated series, which uh, gave us sort of that more classic version as well. And uh, I really like I really like the way that Bruce Wayne and, and Batman is portrayed in this movie. Um, and again, it's just a cool, fun movie. Um, just super cool, like martial arts stuff, great supporting characters that we haven't really seen um, in, you know, a DC Comics adaptation before, for the most part, um, but characters that I've loved for a long time. And just a little bit of background, too, is that, you know, um, again, Denny O'Neill, he was just one of the great Batman writers and great comic book writers ever, um, who sort of started out in the 60s. And then, you know, was very influential really from the, the 60s all the way through into the 2000s. Um, <clears throat> and certainly when I was starting out reading comics in the 90s, he was the editor of all the Batman comic books and also wrote a lot of them. And he did, he sort of was the mastermind behind the uh, Nightfall saga. He introduced the character of Azrael. So he was very influential for a long time. Um, but in the 70s, he wrote um, a famous series of stories that introduced the villain Ra's al Ghul to Batman. Um, and that's where, you know, you got sort of this more uh, globe trotting kind of uh, this Batman who is involved with kind of, you know, martial arts and mystical quests and and ninjas and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um beyond just Gotham city really. And so, you know, that's a version of Batman that I think a lot of people really like. And, and then, so later, uh, Denny O'Neill wrote a series in the eighties, uh, called the question that featured sort of the classic Steve Ditko character of the question. And in that series, he brought back a lot of his various sort of martial arts creations and created a lot of new ones as well. And so, the question was a comic that really combined a lot of like philosophical um, musings as sort of was the original um, aesthetic of the character when Steve Ditko created him with a lot of just like cool sort of Kung Fu martial arts type of storylines. And so you had, you know, Lady Shiva was a big character. Uh, Richard Dragon was a big character um, in the question. And then those characters were sort of pop up throughout DC comics um, you know, after that, and Lady Shiva became ultimately sort of a major character in the mythology of Batman and the Birds of Prey. Um, if you know the character of Cassandra Kane from uh, Birds of Prey from the movie, um, you know, she in the comic books 
turned out to be the daughter of Shiva. So there were a lot of cool stories there and a lot of like cool martial arts battles between them. So in any case, um, I hope uh, the movie does well because I'd love to see these characters return. Oh, one other thing I'll add just as a random tidbit is I remember as a kid, the reason I immediately loved Bronze Tiger a lot as a character was um, one of my first exposures to him was during the Nightfall storyline, which Denny O'Neill wrote a lot of, you know, there was the, this was the whole story of how Bane, you know, Bane had been introduced and he, he fought Batman and broke his back and Bruce Wayne ended up for a while in a wheelchair while this new character, Azrael became a replacement Batman. And so, you know, while in, in some of the comics, it was all about Azrael and he was the new Batman and he was becoming like a more violent Batman, a darker Batman. Meanwhile, you had Bruce Wayne in a wheelchair sort of going on this big quest in classic Denny O'Neill fashion, this globetrotting quest to find his girlfriend, uh, Chandra Kinsolving, who had been kidnapped uh, by this evil guy. And so in one of the storylines, as part of that, Bruce Wayne recruits this special team of characters to go on this mission with him because he's sort of confined to a wheelchair and needs the backup. And so one of the characters was, of course, Bronze Tiger. And I remember there was this awesome moment that Denny O'Neill wrote where Bruce Wayne is in his wheelchair and he's he's watching Bronze Tiger fight a bunch of dudes and Alfred is there with him too. And uh and Alfred says something like, you know, I, I could see it in your eyes, you know, you don't admire a lot of people, but I can see you admire him being the bron him being being the bronze tiger. And Bruce Wayne says something like, you know, if uh if I if I could, I would I would want to fight him because I think he's one of the only people alive that could have beat me. And that, of course, for young me reading uh, this comic, I had my eyes got very wide and I was like, oh, wow, Bruce Wayne thinks, you know, Bronze Tiger could beat him in a fight. That's pretty awesome. That must mean Bronze Tiger is one of the best characters. And so I always liked him after that. Um, so that's my little piece of nerdy nostalgia for you um so anyways batman soul of the dragon cool movie even if you haven't checked out a lot of these dc animated movies i think this is a fun one you don't have to really know anything going in all you've got to know is that it's sort of its own thing it's set in the 70s it's very evocative of bruce lee movies kung fu movies 70s movies um, and it's just a lot of fun. It's if you dig that kind of stuff, if that's your aesthetic, you will absolutely love this movie. So Batman Soul of the Dragon, you can rent it right now uh, from Apple, Amazon, whatever. Uh, and it's well worth a watch if you're a, a Batman fan or a DC Comics fan or a 70s action movie fan. So. Okay, so my second pick of the week is a really cool uh, new movie that came out a few weeks ago on Netflix. This is actually another one that after seeing it, I'm kind of wondering why it hasn't been getting more awards buzz. Um, 
I really liked it a lot. I thought it was one of the best new movies I've seen in a while. Um, certainly one of the best new movies of the year so far. I know we're only in February. Um, but the movie is called uh, The White Tiger, and it's on Netflix. And really, really cool movie. Um, basically, it takes place in India. And it's all about um, sort of uh, this guy in India who, you know, comes from sort of the lower classes of society. He comes from a very small village, uh, really just raised in poverty. And, you know, there's this sort of big, like, kind of gangster type guy who comes to the village and interacts with people and you know, they know him as sort of this big deal guy. And so our main character, whose name is uh, Bairam, sort of similar to Baram. Uh, Bairam, he, you know, he's grown up in this poor village and he sort of finagles his way into a job working for this big gangster dude. Was basically his servant. Um, his technic- technically, his, his job is to be a driver. Um, he ends up becoming the driver for the this guy's son, who is about his same age. Um, and he, you know, he drives him everywhere. Um, but, you know, the movie shows you how in India, you know, there was and maybe still is some of this culture of, you know, when you worked for someone like that, it, you know, you weren't just like an assistant or a driver. I mean you were at their beck and call, you treated them like a master. You almost acted as if you were their slave. Um, and it's kind of disturbing. Like, I, I honestly don't know if I realized how big of a thing this still was in modern day India. Um, and it's disturbing. And you see, you know, uh, by Ram sort of the way he acts around these people and he almost doesn't know better. Like it's so ingrained in him that this is how you act. Uh, when you're in this sort of position that he just doesn't even almost know to resist it at all. But kind of the the spark plug is that the girlfriend of, of this guy, Ashok, uh, who um, is the son that he works for, so, his, so that guy's girlfriend, who's played by Priyanka Chopra, she... Um, you know, is American. She's like uh, originally from India, but has lived in America for most of her life. And so she sort of rebels a lot against how women are being treated and how she's expected to act. And she also sort of instills in Bairam this idea that he shouldn't have to be this way and he deserves better and he should be treated better. And, you know, I won't spoil where things go from there. Uh, but then things go into some pretty crazy directions and it's all about this guy's sort of this guy Byron's story of how he kind of learns to break free from the way he was raised and the way he he's being treated by this family that he works for. Um, and yeah, the movie is very, um, it, 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 you know, has a lot of fascinating twists and turns a lot of unexpected turns, a lot of shocking moments. Um, it can be darkly funny at times, but it can also just be flat out dark. Um, and I will say just what a great performance. This guy, I'm looking at his name on, on IMDb. I hope I 
pronounced it right, but Adarsh Gurav, who plays Bayram, I mean, just an incredible performance. Um, you know, he, he just does a phenomenal job. Um, he really, you know, it's so fascinating to watch him as this character who just has to transform himself when he's around this family that he works for, where he's like, it's almost eerie how he forces himself to smile at all times and to be positive at all times. It's almost like this get out type of feeling where it's like, he's not even fully in control of how he's acting. Um, it's almost like he's possessed to act a certain way, or he's so fearful to not be acting that way um, that he just can't help himself. And he ends up being almost like this robot who's programmed to serve these people until, you know, finally the programming starts to snap a little bit and he starts to sort of understand how much he's being abused and taken advantage of by these people. And incredible performance. Uh, it's a really well-directed movie. It's a really uh, sharply written movie. It's very stylish. Um, really, uh, you know, uh, well-directed, I would say. Um, the director, I'm just looking here, is a guy named Raman Barani, and he also uh, wrote it, wrote the movie. It's based on a book. Really, you know, well-directed. Um, I liked it a lot. I thought, you know, it, it could have been one thing, but it sort of has a lot of interesting twists that take it to, like I said, unexpected places. Um, and it's dark, like they almost kind of poke fun at the fact that it's not Slumdog Millionaire. It's not just uh, a story about a guy who goes from rags to riches or whatever based, uh, you know, just kind of on the grace of God. It's about a guy who has to go to some pretty dark places in order to break free from where, what he's been programmed to be. And uh, so it has almost like a Breaking Bad type of element to it, uh, which I thought was cool. Um, and just a very scathing critique of Indian society. And um, something I found really interesting, you know, we actually watched a couple of sort of Indian themed movies this past weekend. We watched this, we watched uh, Gandhi, which I had never seen. Um, and then we watched a movie from a few years ago called Lion, which I thought was phenomenal. And, and all three kind of together, you know, created a really interesting picture of modern Indian society and sort of some of the historical context. Like in Gandhi, we sort of saw the history of how India sort of broke free from British colonial rule under the leadership of Gandhi. And in this movie, we sort of saw a society still struggling with a lot of the same issues of sort of division and class and sort of that being torn between being like uh, having been a third world country and now being a first world one. But, you know, how do you transition? How do you uh, give opportunity to, to more than just like a ruling class of people? Um, and so I thought I found it very fascinating. And then Lion is a, a sort of a side note. I had missed that one when it came out a few years ago. Uh, it had been nominated for like a Best Picture Award at the Oscars. Incredible movie, incredible true story. Um, I actually am really lucky. I think that I 
had somehow avoided finding out what the movie was really about before I saw it. So I was completely surprised by what happened. And I was shell-shocked by what happened because it's such an unbelievable story, a nightmarish one in a lot of ways, um, but just very actually inspirational ultimately and uh, really, really well told and moving. But back to White Tiger, um, again, really interesting critique of Indian society, um, really interesting look at a lot of the way that it works today. And of course, you can see a lot of parallels between some of the issues that India faces and and what we face here in the U.S. Um, And that was another sort of common theme among all three of the movies I watched. But, you know, I think in White Tiger, there is sort of, I think we have a lot of the same class issues in America. I think they manifest in a lot of very different ways and not quite as severe maybe or obvious ways in some cases, but um, there's still a lot of similarities that you can sort of point to. And uh, that being said, I mean, America is referenced a lot in White Tiger and there is this Priyanka Chopra character of sort of this woman who has this whole American perspective on things, uh, which again is fascinating. I mean, and I think it's interesting to see how she has a much more liberal point of view than a lot of characters in the movie. And yet she also can be sort of complicit in a lot of the wrong that happens and the abuse that happens to Bayram. And it sort of is similar to a lot of what we see now where you see people who on one hand are, you know, sort of arguing for equality or more progressivism in some ways but in other ways are kind of regressive and looking out for themselves more so than others. So, uh, you know, it, it fascinating film has a lot of layers. It was a much darker and more complex movie than I thought it would be based on what I had seen in the, in the marketing. So recommend it a lot. Really liked it. White tiger. You can check it out now on Netflix. 